Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. Last week, the City Watchdog hit the headlines when it published its latest call for input and asked the industry to respond to a range of issues affecting the advice sector. From the funding structure of the FSCS to whether direct-to-consumer platforms should take more responsibility for the products their clients end up with, the Financial Conduct Authority made it clear it thought the investment market was not working as well as it should for consumers. So what does this mean for advisors and what could be the end result of the regulator's probe into this market? I'm Imogen Chu, Senior Reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today is Mike Barrett, Consultant at the Lancat, and Alistair Fullerton, Advisor and Director at Lathe & Co. Welcome to you both, and thanks very much for joining us. Hi there. Thanks, Imogen. So, in general, one of the most interesting parts of the report was that the FCA said it was looking to adjust the funding structure of the FSCS, uh, and all the options it floated were primarily based on firms which cause more harm paying more. That's something the industry has kind of long uh, asked for. Um, so, what do you think of the possible levy options, Mike? Um, do you think it'd be possible to to do this at all? Well, I think it's, I mean, certainly when I started reading the paper last week when it came out, even as someone who takes a reasonably close eye on on these things, you get a kind of a sense of deja vu. There's been a lot of studies over the last year or so, a couple of years with the financial advice market review, RDR reviews, this call for input, et cetera. And they're all kind of roughly saying the same thing, albeit there's not a lot actually um, happening in terms of action. There's obviously a fairly good reason for that in terms of other pressures that are going on at the moment. Um, but I think the the main thing to remember when we look at these things is to try and kind of look at them with two different lenses. So it's important to consider things from the advice sector and particularly that that's obviously a sector which we which we operate in quite a lot at the Landcat and um, FD advisor, I'm sure most of the readers there are financial advisors. But, but beyond that, there's a world outside that, and the vast majority of the population don't actually engage with a financial advisor. And I think it's challenging for the for the FCA to to address a subject as wide as kind of the investment market with with those two lenses on. It's a very very different experience for investors if you engage with with a financial advisor, and a very different experience if you're if you're self-serving and I think they it feels to me like the, the time has perhaps come to start to actually look at those those two different types of consumers the, the advised and the non-advised and to look at kind of developing those markets separately rather than combine together in one additional paper sure yeah um what about you Alistair I mean the um the suggestions the FCA makes would likely result in kind of non-riskier in quotation marks advice firms paying less is that something you'd like to see happen yeah definitely it's um something that we feel probably not the only advice firm but certainly feel slightly aggrieved about as our SSCS levies increased this year dramatically um because of the results of the actions of a few in the industry it feels like which doesn't feel fair to us um and separating out the bad apples and charging them and increasing the levies around higher risk investments or higher risk areas where there's been a track record of things going wrong seems fair to us. Um, although it will require some thought because it's um, 
one person's version of a high-risk investment is another person's version of um, just a normal day-to-day -day investment. So it will just sure. need a bit of thought as to separate. And, and what Mike said is actually a good idea is to actually, it's quite generalist to call it the investment market review. And there's so many different permutations within that. So to, to sort of try and try and segregate things fairly and make the system work for all is, is going to be a tricky it's definitely the right way forward, it seems, but it's going to be tricky. Um, and the FSCS levy yet was feels unfair, obviously, because it's uh, it's expensive and it's jumped up and it's outside of our control. But um, I think moving forwards, separating things and, and allocating things by risk um, is certainly a good starting point to start thinking. Sure. Um, like you said, it's going to take some thought. And one thing that... Um, that kept springing to mind when I was reading it was how are you going to know which firms and well which investments are going to cause more risk down the line as risk is kind of an ever evolving moving target almost which is why it's so difficult for the FCA to to do this but um I mean Mike do you do you have any idea of how the FCA would even go about doing this? Yeah, I think this is. I think that kind of highlights the point I made about separating out the advised and the non-advised market. Um, with within an advised service, the very nature of what's going on there is that the the financial advisor is making a a personal recommendation, and as an investor, you get redress through through that. And one one of the other things which happened last week as well from the FCA was that they they announced kind of their their revised priorities for the for almost the coming year or so. Um, obviously, having to to replan their their kind of previous activity off off the back of COVID. And within that, the assessing suitability review within the advice sector has been delayed indefinitely. Now that that work had already started in in January and February. And I, th I think I think Imogen, you actually reported on some questionnaires, some surveys which were being sent out to financial advice firms. That data had been returned to the FCA by by the end of February before before things started going horribly wrong with COVID. So the so the FCA will have that data and must have looked at that data when deciding that it was appropriate to delay indefinitely the the, the suitability work. So I, I think they're reasonably comfortable with the outcomes that clients are receiving in the advised market. So so the question is then on the on the direct side, and I think the, the concern that I would have with this is that they they seem to be placing too much emphasis on the end investor. So talking about things like just in time education and kind of improved disclosure. Um, and that 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 type of thing going on within within that process, effectively asking the 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 end investor to kind of navigate their way through the minefield. And I I just think the FCA should do something about the minefield and remove a lot of the the products there, which are um, quite likely to cause a lot of self harm. So extremely risky products, um, things like cryptocurrency, all of the stuff which is, um, yeah for most people and certainly most non-advised people they shouldn't be going near yeah just okay. simplify the product range um kind of mo moving on there's to 
uh, a nice segue there to kind of the non-advised currently. Uh, the FCA was also hinting that it thinks there's kind of an unmet need uh, for straightforward, one-off focused advice. And potentially these, these people that we're describing now as non-advised would potentially have better outcomes if they had access to um, almost like a pay-as-you-go service. Um, Alistair, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think that's possible for advice firms to get involved with? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a big opportunity. I think um, I was reading, I can't remember where I got this stat from. It was, I think there's something like about 5% of the population pay for advice, but there's probably another 18 or so million people in the UK that, that the FCA thinks could benefit from advice so, that aren't being served. So there's, there's obviously a huge, huge market for it. Um, and the way it's packaged up and delivered is something that I think is quite exciting. It's something that we are personally exploring. Um, the things for us as potential innovators that we need to help us to try and address that need is to work closely with the SDA to have clear definitions as to what is advice and what is guidance, clear definitions as to what type of redress is available to people who receive advice or guidance, whether it's holistic advice, if we call it that, the traditional model, or this pay-as-you-go type model, um, and just some close, detailed conversations around um, the new the new look of the market, because this is a new, a new way of providing advice, so it needs some new thought as to what protections consumers will have, and also to, to, to what protections advice and advisors will have from giving advice as a pay-as-you-go model. You, you would no advisors will want to do that if they've got potential redress for the next 20 years or so for, for one um, particular fund review that they did for somebody, for instance. Um, but it's a massive opportunity. Uh, it's definitely something that the industry needs to think about because um, robo-advice has tried to tackle that sort of mass market idea, but people still require spare money and they still need enough trust in these robo-advice offerings to transfer their spare money into them and be willing to invest, invest, whereas it screens out a big portion of the population who just have stuff and questions on that stuff, um, which will add a lot of value to the situation. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, a big, it's quite an exciting one that the FCA is starting to mention this from, from our perspective. Sure. Um, and, Mike, do you, think, do you think advisors would be interested in this? I know we've kind of spoken to uh, a fair few advice firms and, and through the Lancat's own report of kind of those that have fixed fees, those that have one-off fees um, and those that have ongoing fees. And it's kind of a hybrid situation forming in some advice firms that are kind of quite forward thinking. Um, do you think a push from the regulator to tackle a pay-as-you-go advice kind of middle ground could could, um, could be good for the advice sector? Um, I think in in my experience, the most advice firms I speak with are are interested in this and interested in it from a perhaps from a business point of view, but almost certainly they're always interested in it from a kind of a, a wider social purpose. Everyone gets the need to to get people um, to kind of take control of their financial futures and advisors tend to be proud of the work they do in that space and want more people to know about it. However, when kind of push comes to shove and you start to really think about how you could develop a proposition and how you can commercialize that proposition so that you get comp adequately compensated for your time and the risk that the advice business is taking on, 
almost certainly it falls it falls in over at that point and fails to happen. So I don't think it's going to be the the traditional advice sector that's going to to solve this problem. So I think it then falls on the FCA. The FCA have that responsibility, that social policy responsibility to to improve the financial outcomes for the population. Advisors are paid to run businesses, and the demand for their advice from from kind of wealthier clients and typically older people approaching retirement needing help with financial planning as they move through through retirement. The demand for that, those services, that is in most cases outstripping the ability to, for them to supply. So that's where advisors tend to focus their attention. It becomes kind of sadly, but also quite rightly from a business owner's point of view, a commercial discussion. Sure. Um, Alistair, do you agree with that? Obviously, you've you've kind of been uh, thinking about how you could potentially do this uh, at your own business. So surely you think that, that it is commercially viable. How, how do you plan to go about it? Yeah, it's um, it's to give you an idea, our views on it are it needs to be a completely different model to anything that's been thought of and, and provided so far. So you need to think quite outside the box, but along the lines of away from the traditional sort of asset under management and ongoing fee attached to asset under management, which has been is clearly defined as not being profitable to give advice in a traditional sense for smaller asset under management, but um, thinking along lines of a sort of a more tech focused platform where advisors and clients can meet, speak to each other, consumers can purchase advice on pay-as-you-go basis, run advisors they may never have met, um, a bit like the, the platform Fiverr. I don't know if anybody's ever used the platform Fiverr, which is for freelance um, often marketers that will do odd jobs of branding, logo design, that side of thing. So um, that's the way we're thinking um, it would solve the solution. But like I said, it, it requires a bit of outside the box thinking from the FCA as much as anything. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the FCA kind of, it was uh, kind of littered throughout the paper, but an ongoing theme really was um, that it finds the advice market quite hard to regulate. And now this might be kind of against, Mike, what you said earlier in terms of how it's kind of got its responses from the survey and has postponed it indefinitely. So it must think it the kind of the market's doing okay. But um, it said in the report that they're... Um, there was 5,000 financial advisor firms and more than 27,000 individual advisors. And the small firms nature of the advice sector made it easy for bad actors to hide and challenging for the regulator to kind of oversee. Mike, what, what do you think could help the regulator here if it is struggling to, to kind of regulate and keep, keep tabs on the advisors that work in this industry? Yeah, I think I've, I've got to say that part kind of amused me because it's, it's not exactly a shock to discover that there's a lot of small advice firms. Um, if nothing else, the FCA published that data on an annual basis and they they know fully, fully well that that's, the market has been structured that way for, for as long as I can remember. Um, I, I think to answer your question, what could be done about it, I think they need to do an awful lot more in communicating a lot more clearly to advisors what their view of uh, good and poor practice are with regards to kind of all aspects of advice regulation they used to be really good at that for for quite a few quite a few years um, but for, for one reason and another and I think uh, one reason is is the amount of kind of EU regulation which has come through um, and a lot of the MIFID stuff makes is 
harder to kind of simplify down into simple do this, don't do that discussions. But yeah, I'd, with the best will in the world, most advisors I know don't speak, don't read in depth the amount of material that comes out of, of, of the FCA. And we just benefit from some very simple guidance around yeah, good practice. If you're doing this, you're in the right direction. If you're doing that, you're certainly not. Yeah, just some clearer communication, I think, would help. Sure. Is that something you agree with, Alistair, as an, as an advisor? Something you'd be benefit from? Yeah, definitely. It, just communication. If you read the uh, the COBS rules on the FCA website, they're, uh, I, I don't know, they're, they're difficult to interpret and people will, they're open, so people will interpret them differently. So one person who thinks they're giving good, good advice might have completely misinterpreted what the FCA um, meant them to do. And I do think, yeah, it is difficult market to regulate, not necessarily, not necessarily because it's complete. It's extremely complex, but more because there's lots of small firms. Um, there's that is often reliant on the firms to report inwards, rather than the SCA being able to sort of extend outwards, so they can sort of um, passively monitor what firms are, are doing. Um, but equally, that's I don't have a huge amount of sympathy for them, as it is their. Uh, is that what the job that they are tasked with um, to regulate financial markets? Sure. Um, do you think the kind of appointed representative structure, which the FCA hit on as well, um, has any part to play in this, Alistair? Um, the FCA is pretty brief on their concerns, but they're just kind of worried about the effectiveness of the principal AR model. Um, how do you think that that's working in the industry? Yeah, that was an interesting point. It, it was really brief, so it wasn't completely clear what what the issues were. We have been part of a network uh, when we were an appointed representative ourselves, and it, a large part of you could tell the network felt the pressure to make sure that the appointed representatives were acting in good faith and, and acting for the best interest of their clients. We've actually, we're now directly authorised and have actually in the process of acquiring an appointed representative. Um, but the appointed representatives that we know and understand are other fully qualified advice businesses that provide advice under our guidance. From the reading in the call for input paper, it, it made it made it out to be a bit their concern to be focused on those that weren't necessarily regulated to give advice or qualified to give advice acting under the guise or under the umbrella of a directly authorised firm and, and then sort of straying across the lines of whether they should or shouldn't be giving advice, which is, is not something we've had much experience with, to be honest. Sure, sure. What, what about you, Mike? What do you think about the FCA's appointed representatives' comments? Yeah, I, I think I would agree that the a lot of the, some of the advisors I know who are, who are appointed representatives are among some of the best advisors I've, I've I've encountered in 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 my career, where it's it's not necessarily and certainly isn't the case to say that automatically the the AR structure is is fundamentally bad. I, th um, I think the concern the FCA probably has is more about kind of the um, the transparency to the end client and the, the kind of the long term accountability. So if things do start to go wrong there, how easy is it for the end client to actually work out? who is ultimately responsible for this and to, to hold those people to to account and particularly kind of in several years down the line after 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 perhaps the initial advice has been being given there has been a few instances where 
um, we've seen that the BAR structures allowed um, kind of rogue advisors to, to to kind of manipulate the system and hide from that accountability. But the rules that go around that are are, are ever strengthening. So I think I think it's a it's a debate to happen. But as I said, gen- generally the vast majority of advisors and the the lack of interest from the FCA to do anything directly with the advice market beyond DB pensions indicates to me that the advice sector is is broadly doing okay. Cool. Um, so moving slightly away from the advice sector, which we all think is doing broadly okay then, uh, the FCA also looked at platforms. Um, it basically said, uh, should direct-to-consumer platforms take on more responsibility in terms of the products that uh, their clients end up with? Um, Now, the only thing I can think of at the moment that happens, uh, you guys will be able to tell me more, is kind of the best buy lists that have come under scrutiny, particularly uh, through the Hargreaves, Lansdowne, Woodford saga. And um, although the FCA has been pretty clear for a while now that it likes best buy lists, are there concerns there at all that if the FCA thinks platforms should take more of an interest or kind of uh, give consumers more of a kind of structured pathway of getting the products that they could stray into personalised advice? Um, what, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I think there's. I think the this is where the platform market needs to kind of catch up with um, with how investors tend to make decisions these days. So people are used to going online and kind of validating their own decisions and uh, using information which they see online to to make to help make those decisions. And um, it's obviously a debate we could have about kind of how accurate that information can be outside of financial services and uh, fake news and all the rest of that stuff. But that's the reality. People are used to going online and conducting their own research. Um, Best Buy lists help that and kind of help narrow down the, um, the the list, but I still think there's a danger that people think they're they're getting some the protection that goes with advice. They think they're getting some there's a potential for some sort of redress if things if things go wrong. And as Woodford has shown, um, absolutely the case under the current rules is is is, is you're not. I for me this comes down to target client and what type of investor do you think if you are a platform you are trying to attract and then really asking yourself a question around what products and and services best meet those needs do investors really need to have several thousand funds to pick to pick from i think there's an argument that the market is is massively oversupplied in terms of products and by offering somebody a kind of a narrower range of funds and as we talked about earlier, a potentially a less toxic range of funds. So none of that kind of Swedish domiciled Bitcoin ETF or whatever, just because you've got open architecture, just yeah, a safer set of less toxic funds to choose from and being clear around the type of investor you're, you're trying to target. I think that is where I would like to see some of the DTC platforms going, keep removing the ability for, for people to self-harm. Sure. Um, in the paper, the FCA suggests um, these D2C platforms help with kind of prompts. So they wouldn't necessarily be linked to kind of the actual 
individual's own circumstances which I guess is why it'd be guidance rather than advice but consider kind of prompts to consider tax beneficial wrappers or make sure you diversify your portfolio type kind of hints on the side um would you like to see direct to consumer platforms kind of taking on those kind of roles Alistair um I, I think so it's a really tricky one I think that one of the the points in the call for input paper would mention labeling which is sort of I guess what you just described there um it, it's sort of labeling the journey and, and telling people where they are and if they're here they should be thinking about this and, and so on which is which is massively beneficial because often people will speak to a friend their friend will say i've got an isa you should invest in this they'll sort of blindly follow set themselves up with an isa send some money not really understand what they are or aren't investing in and it doesn't form any real part of a long-term strategy it's just a thing that they get at that time and then if they don't review it over time, it can become more or less risky. So um, some sort of labeling to make it clear. These things don't necessarily need to be complicated. Um, maybe even a sort of triage system where if you label yourself at the outset at the early part of the journey and say, yeah, I am just looking for something straightforward. It keeps you on the, um, the straight and narrow and steers you away from ending up in a spot where you've got 4,000 funds to choose from and don't know where to start. Um, and the best buy lists are an interesting one. They sort of, they seem to have fallen, fallen in amongst the uh, the cracks a little bit as to what's advice and, and what isn't advice. So um, I couldn't ever imagine as an advice firm labeling on our website the top twenty funds that we would recommend in just purely for the um, for the worry that it would be misconstrued as advice and we we have some redress in the future. So it's uh, it's interesting that D to C platforms are able to and the and the regulator is actively encouraging best buy list i think they just need to be um be careful and actually they can be used as a seed of inspiration for what we spoke about earlier as to uh moving towards a sort of pay-as-you-go mass market type offering because it is the very early thoughts and seeds around there but it's um no, it's a tricky space definitely sure and uh and finally i'm just going to kind of round off guys with what are your kind of general thoughts with what the fca um has done with this call for input kind of do you think it's a positive step from the fca does it feel like it's kind of knuckling down on the right things um mike were you were you kind of happy when, when you read the paper um I'm, I'm always happy when i read an fca paper so that's um says just what what a sad life I I live unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I think I think apart from I think if they address the point I made right at the beginning around this, I think I feel the need is to to separate out the advice, the advised and the direct markets. They're so fundamentally different for the for the consumer and the the potential outcomes they get and the potential for redress if things go wrong. That it it just becomes a, a little bit difficult to start conflating the two yeah separate out those two markets and maybe a few specifics accordingly off the back of that but broadly it's 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 moving in the right direction i think cool and alistair yeah i completely agree with mike it's um it feels like they are at the very early stages um but gradually now thinking about the right things and moving in the right direction if from our naive and basic understanding we look at the market and it's there's 60 70 million people in the uk and only sort of three or five million people are, are accessing paid advice is a problem with the supply is a problem with the limit the amount of advisors in the industry there is a problem with the access to advice um 
because of various limits imposed on the cost of looking after people. So approaching the mass market and in, in the proper considered way and also a forward thinking way of looking at right what the world has moved on from 20 years ago technology now serves as a as a real credible tool to serve mass market offerings so yeah it's it's quite encouraging to see but it's i guess it's early stages and as we've seen with some of their other work it can be quickly sometimes they can change their mind and put things on the back burner so um it'll be interesting to see what the what comes out when they gather all the results and the questions that they've asked for sure cool well i suppose time will tell mike alistair thank you so much for joining us thanks for listening to the agility advisor podcast tune in next week for the next episode welcome back to the ft advisor podcast joining me is senior reporter at ft advisor rachel mortimer and editor of financial advisor simony kiriaki hi guys thanks for joining me hello thanks for having us hi me So, Rachel, the call for input is not the only communication advisors have had from the FCA this week, is it? It's not, no. So um, they had an email at the beginning um, of the week um, giving them a heads up about a second financial resilience survey that's coming out in light of the pandemic. Um, They had the first one in June. Um, but they should have had the second one between the 16th and the 22nd of September. Uh, and the FCA has been very open about the fact that it wants to sort of take stock of the financial um, landscape of the advice sector, given everything that's been going on the last few months. Uh, so, yeah, it looks, looks like they're after some more information. And it's not going to be the last one they do either. They, they said they're going to do quite a few more. So yeah. that's good fun, isn't it? But that's to look forward to. So do you think the FCA is just basically wanting to keep tabs on kind of how advice firms are doing at each stage of the crisis and I guess kind of pinpointing any pressure points and stuff? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the FCA's job to to sort of keep an eye on this sort of thing um, and identify as early as possible any risks if there's going to be sort of firms folding en masse, um, both in the interests of companies and, and consumers themselves. And obviously, sure. as we know, the more firms that, hit financial difficulty and, and potentially collapse, obviously gets passed on to the remaining firms in the sector through the FSCS levy. Sure. Um, how was how were the surveys received by advisors? Have you guys spoken to, to anyone? So I think the fact that they sent an email beforehand giving a heads up about the survey in theory uh, was welcomed uh, because there has been a lot of concern surrounding um, scam threats coming from the regulator uh, in recent months, given everything, all the turmoil that's been going on. Um, however, they sent it from an email address that advisors were not familiar with. So it caused a bit, it caused a bit of concern, <laughs> um, despite their best efforts. Actually, this email was a scam um, and it wouldn't be the first time. There's been a couple of instances this year where um, where scammers have tried to impersonate the regulator. Um, on stuff like this, you know, asking for, for financial data and, and sort of purporting to be a survey. Um, so, yeah, that caused a little bit of confusion. Uh, second issue uh, that was raised was actually the amount of data requests that companies have received this year. Uh, they've already had to fill in uh, two Gabriel returns, um, a DB transfer questionnaire, and obviously the first financial survey uh, that went out in June. And as Sim mentioned, this probably isn't going to be the last um, sort of uh, data requests that they receive in terms of their financial resilience. Uh, so I think for smaller firms, especially who don't necessarily have 
um, the admin support to, to help fill in these type of things, it can be a burden that does take away from the day job, which is obviously advising clients. Sure. Um, and so the surveys are asking basically for um, firms to say how they're doing financially during the pandemic and I'm assuming kind of any problems that come up. What kind of picture do you reckon they're going to end up kind of painting of the advice sector? Do you think the advice sector is in a kind of strong place in, t in terms of this? So the responses to the first survey in June were, uh, considering that it was in the middle of of the first wave um, was surprisingly positive. There were more than 4,500 advice firms which responded to the data requests and only 14 advice firms admitted to the FCA that the economic fallout of the pandemic threatened the survival of their business. Um, so not huge numbers when, when you look at sort of the vast advice landscape that there are in the UK. Um, now that we've had a few months out of lockdown as well, hopefully that's come down even further. Um, as people start to get back into the swing of, of normal life. But then with everything that's been in the news this week as well and more restrictions coming in, who knows? <laughs> sure. Sim, Sim, what do you think? What do you think these surveys are going to show the FCA about advice firms? Well, we've seen um, quite a few letters coming in from advisors who are concerned that the FCA is asking for data that can already be given to them as part of like the annual surveys anyway. Um, we've had some financial advisors think, oh, it's just another bit of data, a bit of admin, a bit of a headache, as, as uh, Rachel alluded to earlier. Um, but some of them feel that it's a little bit more intrusive than that. And um, one, uh, one respondent um, actually said to us, he was concerned that the FCA was asking for financial resilience when already firms have a capital buffer and they have PI insurance. So they're already doubly indemnified against situations like this. And um, the, the, the man who wrote the letter to us said it was concerning for him that the Financial Advo uh, Conduct Authority should be suggesting that perhaps advisors can't dip into that buffer, but the buffer is there for emergencies. Mm. So what's the point of having a, a capital buffer if it's not to be used in the case of an extraordinary emergency event? Is it only there to be used in the event of um, a claim against a company? In which case, why are they paying money into the FSCS? So they've got huge concerns, not necessarily about the fact they have to reply to the survey, but that the whole machinery of regulation that's wrapped around the reasons behind the survey and you know, checking your financial resilience and your, your business resilience. Um, it, it, the whole machinery of, of the regulation itself is is, is defunct. It's a, a patchwork of sticking plasters, um, which aren't really helping advice firms to, to free up. I mean, if you and I are a small business, if we're running a, a, a coffee van and we're not allowed to serve coffee during the pandemics, we can't open up outside uh, the train station, for example. Um, we have our capital reserves that we can get into. Investment trusts have capital reserves that they can get into if they need to pay out dividends. Um, financial advisors can't dip into their capital sure. reserves, or it's you know it's sort of regulatory. Um, it's a regulatory no-no. So there's a there's a huge concern for advisors that the FCA just keeps asking them for information, but it's it's almost pointless to say to the FCA, yes, I, I'm. You know, I'm, I'm financially solvent because <laughs> the FCA knows that anyway. Sure. You, you, know, you do your annual returns to um, 
to to the to the uh, regulator, you, you find that out anyway. But sure, what was the yeah. point of saying, oh, I've got I've got ten percent capital buffer? Excellent. Can't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds like the FCA is requiring advisors to have kind of all these safety nets, but doesn't actually want them to use any of them, right? So like PI, um, the FCS and their capital adequacy requirements obviously all hinder kind of advice firms profitability. But when it, and like you said, when it comes to this, which is, as we all know, an unprecedented event, like they can't even, then that, that's not even there for them to use. Yeah, and why should I have three safety nets and then still prove that I've got plenty of income coming in? I might say to the FCA, well, do you know, I've got no income past few months, nothing. Pro uh, profits are completely flat, perhaps even negative. But I've got three safety nets, so I'm not worried. I mean, is the regulator going to say, well, you know, it doesn't sound like you're sort of uh, adequately prepared, really. You know, should have a good business model. You should be able to talk to us about recurring income and uh, profits and your profit margins to be growing. Why should I? I've got three safety nets. Sure. This, this is a sort of um, the, the feeling that I'm getting from the advisors that we're speaking to. Um, kind of a good segue into it, Sim. Um, you launched Financial Advisors Keep Fees Fair campaign last month. Um, how's it going? Any updates on that at all? Yeah, so it's going quite positively for those advisors who've been able to have a good face to face with their MPs. And um, many MPs have taken quite seriously the overarching issues of regulation and whether it is effective. Um, I think those advisors who've simply written a letter to their MP complaining about fees, justifiably so, um, and the impact of fees on the industry, those advisors are getting kickbacks from the Treasury um, via their MP saying, we don't set the FCA's budget, it's for the FCA to decide um, what the regulatory fee structure is, so sorry, not our problem, and pushed it back. And so quite a few advisors have come to us and said, we feel we've been fobbed off or we feel our MP has been fobbed off. Um, but the point has been made at the, the, the conference last week and by the PFS and others on many occasions. Do not just speak to the regulator about your fees. Do not just speak to the Treasury or your MP about your fees and your fee hike and the impact this is having locally um, or nationally, if you want to, to extrapolate. Talk about the effectiveness of regulation. Talk about the effectiveness of the financial services compensation scheme. Talk to them about um, the PI market talk to them about um, all the legacy claims coming through. Um, and it's not just, you know, people talk about, oh, the one or two bad apples. It's not one or two bad apples. We had a case of Honester. Honester collapsed um, and it could not secure adequate PI cover. And there were 902 financial advisors and 300 advice firms, some of whom had never had a complaint against them in their lives. And they were immediately... Um, kind of kind of cast out into the cold, right? There's still Honester liabilities building up at um, the FSCS, but Honester didn't do anything wrong. It just could not secure PI cover. Um, and that was years ago. So we've got a, a situation where PI cover itself and the lack of that caused in part by regulation and caused in part by things like um, the pension freedoms, which kind of again, sticking plasters of uh, government legislation and policy stuck on to say, well, okay, we're going to give you access, but we're not going to give you entire access. And actually, if you've got more than £30,000 uh, in a DB pension, then you've got to have financial advice. But actually, we're going to make it really difficult for financial advisors to give advice on this. Uh, you know, you, you've got a maelstrom of um, idiotic policymaking, 
a lack of PI, a contraction in the PI market, premiums that um, ever rise and cover that's increasingly thin, like too much, too little butter spread over too much bread. And then you, you get this, this, this market where no one feels adequately covered um, and the risks are enormous to the advisors, which of course means the risks to the consumers are enormous. So these are the sort of things you need to be talking about with your MPs and those financial advisors who've had meetings with their MPs and discussed these face-to-face -face or over Zoom or whatever, they said they've had a really positive reception with people like Priti Patel, and so, so bottomly, these people have done really well and they've taken those concerns to the Treasury and those things are going on at the Treasury. The Treasury is thinking, OK, perhaps we do need to think more seriously about something sure. like a financial advice market to um, review. FAMA 2, what, what more could we want? FAMA 3 and FAMA 2, fantastic. Uh, that all sounds, sounds very positive. Um, and I guess the FCA is kind of at least starting to look at some of these things that have been affecting advisors a lot. Um, as you know, the FCA is looking at the structure of the FSCS levy in its latest call for input, um, primarily focusing on kind of polluting firms paying more. They've got a couple of ways in which to do that. Um, Rach, what do you think about kind of that that option? Yeah, I think um, it's been really well received because this this idea of of the polluter paying has been um, has been a long running call from the advice industry for for years. So yeah, I think that's a really positive move um, from the FCA, and it seems like it's sort of finally taking on board um, what the people who are within the industry itself have been recommending. Sure. What about you, Sim? I think um, it, it's, it's a good start. Certainly, it looks like there may be some movement on the investment front, but really, we need to look at the whole gamut of financial advice. If you're a financial advisor, you're advising on everything from um, protection, mortgages, investment, pensions. Um, maybe you've even got tax advisors in your, your house. You, you're doing everything. You're doing whole whole planning. So just focusing on one aspect for the retail investment market and looking at um, those claims, it, it's not enough. I mean, we've got a whole issue of SIPs to consider. Uh, a whole that that's also brought about by regulation and the bad the bad way in which A Day was created. This it's not the the FCA's fault, obviously, um, but A Day created the, the situation of allowing anything anything goes within your portfolio. You know, when I started writing, you couldn't have property in your in your ISO. You couldn't have property in your, in your SIP, not in this form. And now suddenly you can have. But, you know, the, every time we try and fix something, it seems we break something else. Sure. So I think, you know, the FCA is right to look at the restructure or, or a structure of the FSCS levy, but it needs to look at the whole gamut of financial advice. And that's why we need a financial advice market too, uh, financial advice market review too, rather than just focus on one thing. Because if you just fix the investment side, you're going to break the pension side or there's going to be... Um, in the Venn diagram, there'll be overlaps um, where some of it's covered and some of it's not. And then you've got mortgage advice and maybe the mortgage advice is connected to a savings account. Uh, maybe these these things are all uh, all touching on each other. So, yeah, I, I think we need to have a, a more holistic structural review. Sure. Um, thanks for joining me, Sim and Rachel. And thank you for listening to the FT Advisor podcast. Tune in next week for the next episode. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.